0: get into this father we love you we thank you for today we thank you lord once again for this gathering lord as we open up your word as we read through some old testament prophecies that point to the birth of jesus as we as we talk about this moment in time father my prayer has been the same this week may we rise up from our seats And may we not focus this week on Santa Claus and the perfect gifts for family members, but may may we respond in the same way the shepherds responded to go and tell people about this thing that has happened. The Savior has come to us. So spur us on all the more, Father God, this week. May we not get lost in the distractions of this season. God, we want to celebrate. We want to have a good time. We want all that stuff to happen with our family. We want to give gifts, but we may we never lose sight of what took place when Jesus came to earth. So meet us where we are right now, Father. We love you. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. All right, so for the past two Wednesdays, I think I shared a little bit of this last week. Our first priority group—that's a—that's a, a group of some of these people. Uh, I know the Lewises are there, and Michelle's there, and Miss Connie's there, Stella's there. Of course, Jessica organizes the whole thing. Amanda comes down there with us now, and, and we go down to the school almost every single Wednesday, and we get to invest in these in, in kids and these students, and I and I love it. And for the last two Wednesdays, our our first priority group has been watching this this animated version of the Christmas story, all right? Now, what's funny to me is is that the lady, and there's other churches that are involved with this, that the lady who brought the movie said out loud to the group, okay, for all of us to hear, it is biblically accurate or it wouldn't be in my church's library. Okay, now... (laughs) I'm not trying to pick it apart, okay? I'm not trying to pick anything apart. It's just funny. It, it to me, to me, this is this is this is stuff that's just I, I find humor in these things. The very first scene of what we were watching, where it started, when, when the angels come and visit the shepherds in the field, like that's where we picked up on the story in the video. And the angel, and there was only one. The angel looked like I'm like Bo Duke okay, uh, or Owen Wilson, if you will, I mean, as, as pasty white and blonde curly hair as could be, and I'm like, like this is the angel that, that, that came down, now, now I, I couldn't exactly tell you what the angel looked like, all right, but in my mind, I'm, I'm not seeing Bo Duke, fear not, all right, I mean, I, you know, peace be with you, I, I just, I just, I don't see that, and it's only funny to me because of the statement it's biblically accurate or it wouldn't be in our library. And then you have Joseph. We see Joseph for the first time and uh and Joseph is a good guy, but I'll tell you right now, Joseph and I have the same skin complexion. All right? I mean not not like not not like pasty white, but not like Middle Eastern dark either, okay? And I'm like Man, you would just think. I mean, we, we could make Joseph a little bit tanner if we could, you know, a little bit, a little bit darker with some darker hair. Of course, he didn't have as much white, okay, as, as what I have. Um, and then you get to the innkeeper. And in the story, you know, Moses and Jared, Mo, Moses and I you don't know, rush that, didn't I? Joseph and Mary come walking into town. Mary riding on the donkey. And in the, in, the, in the cartoon, they stop at a couple of inns, okay? And Joseph knocks on the door, and the door opens, and there's no room for you, and he goes to the next one. There's no room for you, and he goes to the next one. And finally, the third one, if I remember correctly, it's the third one, um, the innkeeper actually lets him in, and we see the innkeeper, okay? Um, and he's very Irish. I mean, he is, he's, he, he's as white as white, and he is redheaded, and uh, he looks like a Viking, if you ask me. Like, I mean, if you were, hey, hey, draw me an animated version of a Viking, like this guy right here would, would, would be what we're talking about, okay? And, and for most, as, as most Christmas stories go, man, we, we like to read through the biblical setting. We like to read through that narrative. And then, and then there's a, there's a few, few details from the Bible that that we do know for certain, and then like we fill in the rest of, of the story ourselves with, with what we think happened. You know, for example, the Bible tells us that at the time of Jesus' birth, there was no room for them in the inn or in the guest house. So what we assume, we assume that Joseph knocked on the door and he was denied. There's no room for you at the end but out of the goodness of the innkeeper's heart he tells him oh but we got a stable out back now now we don't know if that's true or not it might have happened but but we're not exactly sure that that's what happened and so we we imagine things and we bring things into what we believe about how and where Jesus came into the world and here's the crazy thing. This is a global assumption, right? I mean, it's, 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 it's worldwide amongst different cultures about how we believe and what took place the night that Jesus was born. So I got some pictures I want to show you real quick. All right, um, we, th- these are some nativity scenes. You're familiar with the nativity scenes, right? Um, nativity scenes, It's it's the birth of... Jesus, and who all was there, and what all was going on, so, so here's one, Um, anybody recognize this one, yeah, it's right out there, all right, now, so, so, so you got, you got, you got some, some, some official looking people in uh, the three kings, okay, the wise men, these people right here, I'll go ahead and tell you right now, they were not there, I, I, I can vouch for that one, okay, they were not there the night Jesus was born, okay, all right, Unless they came stealthily, did his thing, and then left, and then came back, okay? All right? Outside of that scenario, they weren't there, all right? And then, does this one even have Jesus? Because at one point in time, Jesus was being hidden. Is Jesus... Yeah, Jesus. I don't even think Jesus is here because Jesus been, somebody took Jesus and hid him. I love the angel over there on the right-hand side, kind of peering around, like, is everything okay? Just checking in on you guys, okay? Like, so, so this is our... Nativity scene. Uh, you got Mary down there. Uh, I'm assuming that's Mary. She's doing her thing. And for some reason, Joseph is already. He's just holding a lamb. Okay. I don't. I don't know what that. If that's Joseph. Uh, well, I don't know who that is. That may be a shepherd. 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 Okay. And then there's Joseph standing out there. Okay. All right. That's that's one. What's the next one? These are from around the world. Okay. This is from Haiti. All right. So from Haiti. I got a. I got a friend, John Lancaster. They collect these things from around the world um it's it's all well and good until you're somewhere around the world and you're on a mission to find a nativity set before we head back um and so this is one right here uh and and you see their depiction of the nativity scene i mean we got a coconut right and all the players are still part of the scene what's the next one mexico all right i didn't even know they had shiny aluminum in mexico but that's where this one's from and again you see it you see their their version of this and and all the versions have pretty much all the same major players in it right i mean you got the wise men the kings they're there joseph Mary are there there's some form of a of a you know a barn a shelter whether it be a cave out back as it probably you know most likely was it was not wooden for them for to be honest with you um and, and, and then, you know, the angels there, shepherds are there. and So that's, that's, that is what shapes our view of what took place that night. And before we go on, I just want you to know, like I'm not here to bash nativity scenes, okay? But last September, I was off by myself on a retreat doing what I do every year as I go off And I start planning sermons for the next year. I've been gone a few days already. And last September, I was reading through the Christmas story. The one in the Bible. In the verse from Luke chapter 2, verse 12, is what stood out. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Now, like you, I've read this verse hundreds of times. I've heard it recited in in plays. And, And I never thought once in any of this, why a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger is the sign. Like that's the sign to these shepherds out in a field that you're going to find a baby and he's wrapped in cloth and he's lying in a manger and the baby just so happens to be a savior he's been born to you he is the messiah and here's how you know you got the right baby he's wrapped in cloths lying in a manger and what's interesting if you keep reading you will find that the angels did not command the shepherds to go look for this baby. After the angelic experience, the heavenly host comes down, they sing. They were curious enough, they left the flocks to go and check out the news. Is this really taking place tonight? The signs. A baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. In a predominantly agrarian society where most people will have livestock sheltered in some form of stable, where do you start looking for the baby? I mean, like, like, like it's not like there's just one place in town that has a stable with some livestock. This is an agricultural community. Just like most people in our society have garages, most people had a place to keep their livestock safe at night. So where do you start looking? You start going door to door? Uh, excuse me, do you happen to have a baby in your stable? If so, can we look at it? Uh, nope, he's not wrapped in cloths, must not be the right one. I mean, I mean, like, 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 like how does this go down? We got to do another one. Is there a baby here? No, there's not a baby here. I mean, why just why wasn't the sign? Hey, you'll find a baby with his mama and daddy, and they're in a barn. Like, is that not sign enough in in a super small town? I mean, because Bethlehem is not a metropolis. Bethlehem is 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 no bustling town. Think Danville. Okay? Think very rural, small town. A couple of thousand, maybe because of the census, maybe 2,000. Why is the sign not, hey, if you find a baby in a barn, that's the one. But there's something particular about this. You're going to find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. So I want to share two prophecies about the birth of Jesus that clue us in on where he was actually born and how the shepherds knew where to look. If you have your Bibles, Micah is where we're going to be. We're going to, we're going to look at uh, 1 in chapter 5 and then 1 in chapter 4, Micah 5.2. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Now now this is very interesting when you start doing word studies. Bethlehem Ephrathah was actually an indicator for us to a little more specific area of Bethlehem. This was considered the country, or it was considered like the agricultural district. And historians have said that it's about a Roman mile outside of Bethlehem. Now, a Roman mile is not our mile. Okay, a Roman mile is the equivalent of about 3,000 feet. So it's not a, a major distance. Okay, you can certainly walk there, 10, 10 football fields, for those of you that you know need a little help with that. As I said already, Bethlehem was a super small town. And so this Ephrathah, that word, is an important clue because it's not Bethlehem proper, if you will. It's just outside of Bethlehem, still considered Bethlehem. Just like I have a Decatur address. Alright? You turn onto my road, to the right is Trinity. To the left is Decatur. And you go about a hundred yards and you make a sharp left turn, and everything down that way, my house included, is Decatur. But I am not within the city limits of Decatur. Okay? I'm, I'm still considered Decatur, but I'm, I'm not Decatur proper. Y'all kicked me out. <laughs> We're country folk, okay? We're woods folk. We're not city folk. That's, that's what this is telling us right here. This Bethlehem Ephrathah is just outside. It's considered Bethlehem, but it's just outside of where the, where the inn would be, where the guest houses would be where all the, the, the any, if there was a, a major corporation of any kind, all the businesses would be in Bethlehem proper. This is just outside. Now, here's another clue, Genesis 35. I'll read this for you, it's up on the screen, I think, verse 16. Then they moved, now this is back, this, this is back in Genesis, right? So this has been a while back. Then they moved on from Bethel. While they were still, still some distance from Ephrath. Ephrathah, Rachel began to give birth, and had great difficulty. And as she was having great difficulty in childbirth, the midwife said to her, Don't despair, for you have another son. As she breathed her last, for she was dying, she named her son ben Oni, but his father named him Benjamin. So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrathah, that is, Bethlehem. Over her tomb, Jacob set up a pillar and to this day, that pillar marks Rachel's tomb. Israel moved on again, and he pitched his tent beyond Migdal-Eder. The location of Rachel's death is on the way to Bethlehem. It's not in Bethlehem, it's almost to Bethlehem, it's not quite there. It's on the way to Bethlehem. That's what Genesis tells us. And pay attention to verse 21. Because this is also a very important clue. Migdal Adair. Now I have found it pronounced two ways: Migdal Adair, Migdal Eder. Okay, I don't know which is right. All right, I'm going to say it, Migdal Adair, because it just makes me sound more official. I think, uh-huh. whatever reason. So what is that? Like, like he he left where his. But his wife was buried in Ephrathah, and he goes on to pitch his tent at Migdal Adair. That's a Hebrew word. Look over at Micah four 8. We're about to find out. As for you, watchtower, Migdal Eder. As for you, watchtower of the flock, stronghold of daughter Zion, Former dominion will be restored to you. Kingship will come to you, daughter Jerusalem. The word watchtower in Hebrew is Migdal Adair. And so we have this story of Rachel giving birth and Israel bearing his wife on Ephrathah, just outside of Bethlehem, on the way to Bethlehem. And then Israel, Jacob, comes along and he, he sets up camp at this watchtower. So, What's the significance? The watchtowers were pretty interesting. You can imagine what they were for. They were towers designed to watch. Here's a picture of one. Remnants of one, this one right here, is just outside of Bethlehem. What's known from ancient Bethlehem, this one is about 3,000 paces, I do believe, to the east. Which historians tell us is land that a certain king, King David, used to own. It's not in the Bible, okay? so I'm not ready to just say that this is the watchtower that, that King David set up over his town, Bethlehem. But historians say this is the land that King David owned, and this particular watchtower is on this property. Now, what's the, what's the part of the watchtower? Watchtowers were built around cities as lookouts for enemies who might be attacking. <clears throat> okay? I mean, you get that. We're, we're a small, small town. We, we, we want to know, and so they would build them out. They wouldn't build them right here on the edge of town. They would build them out just a little ways, and, and the men would take turns, and, and any kind of military would take turns. They would go out there, and they would watch, okay? And if they saw any kind of army coming that gave them the opportunity to run back to town, to notify the townspeople, there's an army coming. They could flee. They could do whatever. Then these watchtowers began to take on another role. As God is establishing His people in the promised land, and the Mosaic law moves from Ten Commandments to hundreds, if you will, there started to be, and this took place, of course, even before the Ten Commandments, there was a need for a blood sacrifice for the death angel to pass over. All right? So in the Old Testament law, there had to be a blood sacrifice to atone for man's sin. And Exodus 12 spells out the requirements of the sacrificial lamb required for Passover. We're not going to go, we're not going to read that. But here's what you need to know. The lamb must be without any blemish or defect. And this is a major deal. Because I don't know if you know anything about people back then. They're just like people right now. We're all sinners. Every single one of us sins. Okay? My 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 sweet, sweet, sweet grandmother. She's a sinner. All right? Probably not to the level that I am, but in God's eyes, we're the same. We're all sinners. And people back then, you know what? They were sinners too. And so in God's economy, there had to be this blood sacrifice to transfer the sins of the people to, to the blood, and the blood would wash away the sins in God's eyes. But here's the thing it had to be a healthy, without defect, without any blemish. It had to be a perfect lamb. And so now you you know what you know, right? I mean, we got shepherds out in the fields. And they're watching these, these sheep. And we've already discussed this in here time and time again. Sheep aren't the smartest of animals. Okay, They'll walk themselves right into a ditch. They'll walk themselves right into a briar patch. They'll walk themselves right, right, right into a predator's presence. And so they had to have a shepherd who would watch them to protect them, to keep them safe. And, and now... We have to have perfect lambs for sacrifice. And so the watchtower became the place where the sacrificial lambs would be born and protected. And so what the shepherds would do with their flocks during, <clears throat> during birthing season, they would bring them to these watchtowers, okay? And these watchtowers, you saw in the picture, had walls set up, fences to corral the, the ewes who were about to give birth. And so I'm sitting here, and I'm watching my flock. And when it's birthing season, I would take my flock, and I would lock all the ewes, all the expectant mothers, I would lock them into this region right here at the watchtower. And I would stand watch over the flock. And when the mamas would start to give birth, okay, I'd go down and I'd inspect the lamb. Oh, this one's got some blemishes. This one's no good. I would release it with the rest of the flock. Oh, this lamb is perfect. This lamb. Doesn't have any blemishes. This lamb doesn't have any defects whatsoever. And so I would keep the mama and I would keep the perfect lamb there at Migdal A. There. And then as the birthing season starts to wrap up, temple priests who are responsible for the sacrifices, they're the go between between people. And God. They would come and they would inspect the lambs who have been born. And then they would transport them one at a time from Migdal Eder to the temple to be sacrificed. Have you ever carried a baby animal before? Right, like there's puppies and kittens and that kind of stuff. That's the easy fits in your Fits in your hand. But have you ever had to carry a, a calf before? I, I mean, I grew up on a farm. Y'all know this, right? So we had baby chickens. Baby chickens were nothing, right? They are just like little things. They'd run around. They were annoying. But then we also had cows. And and on more than one occasion, we actually had to help assist a birthing mom deliver her calf. Okay? It's not pleasant. All right. I mean, it's just like in my end of it was, hey, stick your fingers up the nostrils of the cow, because that's like paralyzing them. It's like grabbing the lip of a bass, right? They'll just sit there, and you stick your fingers up the nostrils of the cow, and it just like paralyzes them, like they stay right there. They won't jerk around. Doesn't take a lot of pressure. It's crazy, right? Who discovered that? Who knows? All right, <laughs> somebody had to do it, and and and, and for whatever reason. It was my job. Hey, when this calf needs some when this mama needs some help, that's your job. Well, that was actually better than the other end because the other end meant the other end. Okay? And and I remember I wanted to be a vet until I saw Walter Martin put on the glove. It came up to here. And I'm like, oh never mind. I'm good with the vet thing, right? I don't, I don't, I don't want that. And, but but like these babies. I mean, like trying to carry a little baby calf, man, they're, they kick and they flail, and it's easy to drop. Well, I've got this perfect lamb, about 3,000 paces or even miles necessarily to get to the temple to be sacrificed. You know what I can't do? I can't drop it. I cannot risk this lamb being injured. I I can't risk this lamb kicking out of my arms or something, kicking me somewhere, and I just naturally react by dropping it, and and now the lamb gets dirty or something happens to the lamb. So you know what we did? We would wrap it up in cloths. We We would basically bind the lamb with cloths to keep it from flailing around. Historian Marshall Howard studied, and he wrote this. When a ewe was about to give birth, she was brought from the pasture into the lower floor of the tower and attended by a priest or shepherd priest. That's, a, that's another conversation for another day. When the lamb was born, it would immediately be swaddled in strips of cloth, possibly, this is being dedicated right here, possibly torn from the priest's undergarments. This unblemished lamb destined for sacrifice to atone for sins was swaddled in order to protect it from harm and to remain unblemished and to prevent it from being trampled. It would be placed in a manger. This will be a sign to you you will find a baby wrapped in strips of cloth lying in a manger. How appropriate. The Savior was born in a place where sacrificial lambs were brought into the world so they could atone for the sins of mankind. So all we've done today is ruin the nativity scenes in our homes, right? <laughs> Great, I've got this false doctrine right here in my house now. Look here, and we're not trying to do that. We're not, we're not trying to ruin the the you know, nativity scene market. We're not trying to bring that down you know, so they're never made again. We're not, we're not curmudgeons around here, okay? I, 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 please hear me. I'm, I'm certainly not saying, you know, we've got to burn all these things, get them out of our houses, that we're living in sin because of some false teaching. That's not what we're saying here, okay? As we're studying this, there's two things that kind of came back. Two things I think that we need to be thinking about as, as we draw closer and closer to Christmas. The first is this, and I think it's hopefully the obvious for, for what we've discussed. The, the focus should always be on the reason Jesus was born. I, I, to, to be, he came to be the perfect sacrifice so that my sins can be transferred from me to him and washed away forever by the blood of Jesus on the cross. He willingly became the propitiation for all mankind where he is born, if, if it's at mcdowell Miguel, Miguel Air, that only makes this point all the more evident. His very entry into this world points to why he came. And I think in our culture today that that our idea of what the birth of Jesus looks like, man, it may be lacking in, in some intentional signs from God's sovereignty. Because if you, if you understand what we read, and you understand Old Testament, and then you understand the shepherds out there in fields, and they're receiving the message, you will find a baby wrapped in strips of cloth lying in a manger they knew where to go so I think and I hope and I pray that our focus is on Jesus and Jesus only he came to die for the he came to take on all the sins of all mankind and we cannot we must not take that lightly. And then the second thing, and we're almost done right here, church. The second thing. It's the thing that what happens next after the shepherds find Jesus wrapped in the cloth of linen lying in the manger. And Perry prayed the prayer for offering. I don't even know if you heard it. I paid attention to it. I heard it. Luke 2.16 So they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby. He was lying in a manger. Who knew? When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Harry prayed during offering that you would go and tell people about Jesus, and we would tell others about him. And and, and here's the thing. The angels did not tell the shepherds to go see Jesus and then start talking about Him to others. They just told them about Jesus. A Savior for all mankind has been born. We probably ought to go check that out. And here's the thing. It's the natural response when we encounter Jesus to tell others about Him. And so my prayer this morning, I prayed it already once, I'm going to pray it again in just a second, is that you will get more excited about the birth of the Messiah than finding that perfect gift for whoever. Good luck on the perfect gift. I want you to get the perfect gift. Man, I so hope you get more excited about the fact That God loved you so much that He sent His Son to take on your sins. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom His favor rests. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for the imagery that we find in Scripture where. Where it is so very possible that Jesus was not born downtown Bethlehem behind the inn. But Jesus was born in the presence of lambs waiting to be sacrificed. Alone. No fanfare. But what a message! What a message to those very simple shepherds who understood the significance of what was taking place. A Savior has been born. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. And so, Father, as we draw closer every day to Christmas, where Lord, we're gonna get together with family, we're gonna travel, we're gonna we're gonna eat a lot, we're gonna. Spend a lot of money on presents and stuff of this world. Father, may we get excited as we remember the very birth of Jesus. You had us on your mind when that decision was made. So, Father, may we respond the same way. This week, may we respond the same way the shepherds did and just tell people about Jesus. Thank you for your love.